0: Ready to form Voltron! I am this is a job for Superman. Power Rangers. Right away,
1: Michael. Autobots transform. <laughs>
0: By the power of Greyskull!
1: For the honor of Greyskull! I'm the Doctor.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 40 of Charlie's Geek Cast. I am your host Charlie Niemeyer and today we are starting a new series on the show because the year 2020 marks 10 years since I started podcasting. Believe it or not, 10 years ago I started my own little show called Superman in the Bronze Age and I thought it would be fun to spend uh, some of the episodes this year, maybe even longer, going back and looking at some of the awesome Bronze Age Superman stories that I skipped over for one reason or another, because there was about fifteen years worth of comics, and I only did about a hundred and some episodes, so there was quite a few that we got that got skipped over. So I'm gonna go. I'm covering some of the ones that I like, but had to skip over for one reason or another. So that's my celebration for ten years. So we will be back in just a second with our first comic. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos.
0: Hey, everybody. My name is Trennis Magnus. I host a show called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a podcast dedicated to comics, movies, and TV shows. During the course of my show, I've talked about horror movies, comic book back issues, old Star Trek episodes season-by-season season analyses of Smallville, and so much more. Heck, I've even talked about prose novels a few times. You never quite know what's coming next with Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, and that's the whole fun. So check out Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. New episodes of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found every Tuesday on iTunes, and at twotruefreaks.com The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint.
1: The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie in by tie in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member
2: of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion. We now return to geek Geekcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Alright, our first issue today is Action Comics number 434 with a cover date of April 1974 and an on-sale date of January 31st, 1974 and with a cover price of 20 cents. And as always, this is this information, other than the cover price because I kind of knew that and the cover date. Okay, anyway, the release date information comes via uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics at dcindexes.com. This issue, the title of the story is The Krypton Connection Story by Carrie Bates. Art by Kirk Swan and Vince Coletta, and edited by Julie Schwartz. As Superman returns to WGBS from a busy world patrol, a city sanitation truck transforms into a tank and begins blasting the 5th National Bank. Because, you know, I guess the first four were too well guarded. Anyway, as the wall crumbles, one of the tellers screams, drawing the attention of the Man of Steel. After Superman blocks the blast with his body, and then his heat vision, The driver threatens Superman with an ultimate weapon, but it gets blasted from above before he can fire it. Superman then kicks the tank in half, grabs the driver, and drops him off in a nearby patrol car. Elsewhere, a force flowing between the hands of a man and a woman allows them to watch this whole activity. They take credit for the blast, explaining that they save Superman to ensure that they'd be able to have the revenge later. Returning to Clark's office, Superman changes to Clark and notices a box of chocolates and a weird gun on his desk. The gun turns out to be a prank by Steve Lombard, which shoots out quote-unquote psychedelic streams of light when activated by body heat. After Steve has his laugh and leaves, Clark finds out that he has a fan club and that they sent him a box of chocolates. Being a fan of chocolate-covered cherries, he tries one and cries out in pain. Unable to think straight due to the pain, he allows Lois to take him to the new dentist office in the building next door. Convenient. Inside, Clark meets the dentist, while Lois asks the receptionist for the time. And she is shocked to discover that this is the same young woman who dropped off the candy earlier in the day. While the receptionist uses a memory extinguisher to make Lois forget everything that's happened since before she saw Clark, basically, the dentist administers anesthetic gas to Clark, which... For some reason actually affects Clark. The dentist and the receptionist reveal that they are actually Dr. Zadu and his wife Zeta, two criminals from the Phantom Zone that last encountered Clark back in his Superboy days, when he managed to strand them on a world with a red sun. They never do reveal exactly how they escaped, but they do say that their revenge has already begun and that Superman will have no idea when or where they will strike. Clark comes to, but the only other person in the office by this point is the actual dentist, who was annoyed but found some raving man in one of his chairs. After apologizing, Clark heads back to his office, figuring out that the candy and gas affected him because they were actually products of of Dr. Zadu's Kryptonian medicine. He also needs to be alert for anything the Kryptonians may try next, but right now he's got to focus on the next important task. Destroying the world. Alright, Dr. Zadu's first and only previous appearance to this was in Superboy number 100 from 1962. But Zeta was actually named Erndine. Erndine and looked much older. Closer in age to Dr. Zedu. Zedu, I don't know how old he's supposed to be. But he's got some lines on his face. And he's got the great temples. Uh, and uh, here Zeta looks like. Has, gets yeah. And in this issue. Zeta gets confused as a young lady by Lois. So. Uh, now that first adventure did not actually mention them being a couple, and doesn't actually explain why they were in the Phantom Zone, and neither does this. So who knows? But uh, maybe they became a couple and got married over the years while plotting their revenge. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, similar costumes. Uh, both uh, both stories were drawn by Kurt Swan. But uh, yeah, this is uh, Zeta has really changed over the years anyway uh, looking at the issue itself, the cover here is by Nick Carty and it's basically my worst nightmare. Uh, it looks like Superman's having a tooth pulled out by the dentist and the dentist is having trouble because it's Superman's tooth. Now this looks like one of those zany covers you might have seen during the Silver Age or even or even parts of the Golden Age but uh, yeah this is a it's a it's actually like my worst nightmare, seriously. Uh, moving on. Page two. Now this is a recurring theme that they do. I don't. Now I've never actually paid close enough attention to see if this is a Carrie Bates thing or an Elliot Magan thing or if it's something that they both do. But we start off with Superman returning from his worldwide patrol, and he says he thinks to himself, "I foiled a skyjacking over Israel, halted an avalanche in the Swiss Alps." Tugged a sinking freighter back to the port in the South Pacific. Ha, <sighs> not bad for an hour's work. And they like to do that, like all this stuff that he has to that he does. And then it's like for a morning or a couple hours or ten minutes or something. Pretty crazy. Anyway, um, and now pages two through four. Now this is a classic example of the criminal, or maybe the writer, an editor, not really thinking things through too well. Now, this guy could probably make more money off of this weapon that he's created than he could from actually robbing the bank. I mean, this converts trash into energy. I would, especially back then when the pollution stuff was more of a a lot bigger deal, especially in the early 70s, I I would imagine this, this guy could make billions of dollars off of this little invention. Now, maybe it wasn't his invention, but... I still think he would make more money if he like, patented it. Page five. Superman doesn't give much thought to his mysterious benefactor. I mean, he mentions it. He wishes he had that power. And then he goes to his office. Nothing. Uh, page six. Now, this is strange for a lumbar joke. He gets no payback from Clark other than a corny one-liner. And it's the only prank for this whole two sto- two-part story. We don't see Steve again. Well, we see Steve one more time talking to Jimmy in the background, but this is it. So, already, some people would prefer this story to others. Um, Page 7, and this is my last note for the actual pages. Clark seems to carry on a little too much about his tooth. I mean, he's being overly dramatic. But, you know, first off, he's not used to feeling pain, so this is a weird sensation for him. I mean, he's felt pain in the past, but it's still not something he's used to. And I'm sure he doesn't like it. No one likes it. Well, actually, some people like it. it's weird. Anyway, and it ends up being some kind of Kryptonian thing in nature. So maybe it's causing more pain. I don't know. It is a nice touch, though, that the pain prevents him from being able to think very clearly. I mean, there's multiple times where he's he's seeing stuff and noticing what's going on around him. But he can't think clearly enough to really figure out what's going on. Or to stop Lois from taking him to the dentist. Now, I find it interesting that Zadu and his wife, whatever her name is, uh, were chosen for this story. I mean, this is still the era where DC, anyway, had that mindset that there was a fan turnover. And the readership uh, basically kind of refreshed every few years. This is a one-off villain or pair of villains from one story from 12 years ago (laughs) just seemed kind of I mean it's nice that they give them uh you know the flashback stuff so we know who they are and everything but I mean then they went ahead and changed Zeta's name and her age and it just seems like why (laughs) especially since Bates couldn't be bothered to explain exactly how they escaped was it their hand power I don't think it is because they're I think he meant they mentioned in the next issue that they don't have the power to do so much of the teleporting. So I don't know. And how did they get their power? That's not explained either. Uh this really either needed a third part or more pages per issue, which would have helped. Uh because these are like 12 or 13 page stories, because each issue also has a backup feature. I'm not covering the backup feature the backup features this time. Because first off, there's two different characters. And uh, also because I'm focusing more on Superman. Since this isn't the actual Superman of the Bronze Age so I don't feel like I need to cover the whole book. If, if you don't agree with me, go ahead and uh, let me know in the comments or, you know, send an email and we'll, maybe, maybe you can change my mind if you really want to. As is usual with Superman comics of this era, there really isn't any character development, just a lot of plot um, and everyone playing their roles to move the plot along. However, um, on the way to the dentist, Lois does think to herself of how dumb it was of her to think that Clark was Superman if candy can cause him so much pain. So, I guess... I mean, it's sort of a co- side comment. I don't know if it's really any kind of character development or character growth. But, uh, you know, it's something that... Uh, they, they do this a lot. They, Well, I don't know about a lot, but they do this a, f- a few times. It's kind of like they're taking digs at the Silver Age by uh, pointing out, you know, this, th- this really was kind of ridiculous. As for the story itself, it's not bad. It's just not really great either. Uh, it's mostly memorable because... The, these two issues well it's mostly memorable to me because these two issues were among the first issues I had of pre-movie Superman comics and therefore I read them a lot. and as a young kid, well not young kid, as a teenager, early teenager, um, I was you know more into the, the plot stories I guess than you know that slow character that slow boring character development stuff. Which is probably why I like the DC stuff more than Marvel. Although by the time the, by that point the modern comics were doing the character development stuff, so take what I just said and forget it. I could edit it out, but I probably won't. My favorite part of the story though has to be what I read as the very nonchalant way that Clark just decides. Oh yeah, that reminds me. I've got to go destroy to the world. I should probably get started on that. It's it, it provides a tiny bit of humor in a story that. Uh, didn't have a month. Didn't have a month. Didn't have a lot. The, as for the art, it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, we have Kurt Swan being very Kurt swan depending on how you like that. Uh, he's got some cool panels when they're in the elevator. It's slanted to, you know, allow the space for the, to show the elevator, tra- give you the feeling of the traveling in the elevator, but also, you know, confining it to the allotted page count. But he's inked by Vince Coletta. And he does an okay job in some places, and in some places he just doesn't mesh well. But it, it kind of leaves you wondering what, if anything, he erased during the inking process. Now, this was during a, a time period. Uh, Murphy Anderson had recently left the Superbooks. And Bob Oxner is going basically going to be his replacement, but he hasn't come on yet. So this is a short period of time where Vince Coletta comes in to do the inking. Uh, he does... Both action and Superman, basically, and uh, his inks just don't mesh well, anyway. And then he's not really on there long enough to make them mesh well. Uh, you know, sometimes with, when the art and you know, a pencil and an inker work together for a while, they kind of the the work kind of starts melding together into a cohesive whole, kind of like Swanderson did. And I, I like to, th- and I think that Oxner was doing that with uh, Swan's art. By the time he uh, left the Superbooks. So it's, I don't know. I don't know if it ever would have worked out, but it, uh, Coletta just doesn't have the time to actually learn to mesh his style with Swans, if that makes any sense. Anyway, so that's going to do it for this first issue. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo or two, and I will be right back with our second issue. But first, I'm going to leave you with some music. The number one song uh, during this final week of January was Your 16 by Ringo Starr, formerly of the Beatles. And so that song is going to be playing us out, and I will be right back. Charlie's Key Cast will return after these promos.
1: In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe,
0: Superman.
1: Always a pleasure to be of service to the law.
0: Wonder Woman finished now let's bring the world back to normal batman well professor baffles has evidently lost his baffling power aquaman the jet nozzle is buried in the sea bottom the jet stream is stopped and those three
1: junior super friends wendy marvin and wonder dog their mission to fight injustice to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind.
2: Join Mike Sumo on the Man of Steel Podcast, As coverage of Super Friends and its many incarnations begins in March at www22
1: podcast network is a collection of super friends plus shag so what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends it's for all mankind a super friends podcast a read-through show about the classic dc comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises hosted by me rob kelly and a rotating group of my super friends coming soon from the fire and water podcast network it all looks good to me
2: We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. All right, our second issue for today is Action Comics number 435 with a cover date of May 1974, an on-sale date of February 28th, 1974, and a cover price still of 20 cents. The title of this one is I Want to Wreck the World! Story by Carrie Bates, art by Kurt Swan and Vince Coletta, and edited once again by Julie Schwartz. It's dawn in Siberia. If anyone happened to actually be out in these frozen wastes with the remarkable amount of grass, they would see Superman flying overhead with a giant tuning fork, a giant magenta tuning fork. Reaching his destination, a super fling thrusts the fork firmly in the ground. Then Superman flies away, or scoots away as he says, about 100 miles, turns around and flies back to the tuning fork at just the right speed to break the sound barrier just as he's passing through the fork creating a supersonic boom powerful enough to crack the earth open. After admiring his work for a minute, Superman finally realized what the heck he's doing and is shocked at himself. He pulls the fork out of the ground, but it continues to vibrate with so much force that Superman can't even stop it. So he flings it up into space where, you know, the vacuum of space and the lack of air and inability to create any noise, finally calms it down and it's gonna be now just a weird looking piece of space junk. I don't know why he can't bring it back to Earth and maybe recycle the thing, but, you know, whatever. It's the 70s. They don't recycle much yet. Then, after closing the fissure and repairing the Siberian landscape off-panel, Superman thinks back on the events of the previous issue, spending the rest of his day worrying about when Zadu and Zeta will force him to destroy the Earth again. He doesn't have to wait long, though, because the next morning, Superman is spotted diving at the Earth wearing a vest of sonic torpedoes that he sure won't leave enough of the planet to fill a Dixie cup. Fortunately, he once again realizes what he's doing just in time to complete his dive at super speed, but only after removing the vest, allowing it to fall at a normal speed so that he can then fly back up and catch it before it can hit the ground. Meanwhile, elsewhere, Zadu and Zeta begin to worry that Superman is getting closer and closer to actually destroying the Earth. Because, you see, if he wins, they lose. Later in the day in a scene that is important but doesn't seem like it. A Girl Scout sells Clark some Girl Scout candy, which I didn't even realize was really a thing. But when Clark eats a piece, he once again cries out in pain. Hmm. The next morning, Superman is again spotted, but this time he's carrying a giant prism, which actually is kind of cool looking, uh, containing a the planet-eating germ from Alpha Centauri. Using their cosmic power grip to watch the proceedings, they see Superman actually succeed in releasing the creature and use their power to disintegrate it before it can actually destroy the planet. After they reveal themselves, not in that way, Superman explains that the creature wasn't real, just a harmless mock-up he used to force their hand, which I guess is a good choice of words now that I think about it. When they ask how he figured out their plan, he points to his tooth hurting again when eating regular candy. This time he realized that there was something on his tooth and after a scan with microscopic vision, figured out that it was an energy implant charged by the super willpower he exerted each time he resisted their commands to destroy the Earth. With no point in hiding their plans any longer, they revealed that it was going to be used to power their planet transporter, which would have transported Earth into orbit around the same sun that Krypton once orbited. While he would have lost his superpowers, actually they all, they, all three of them would have. They would still have their cosmic power grip though. They then show off their power by blasting Superman, who, despite having superpowers, is knocked to the ground in pain. Realizing that he only has seconds before he passes away, he grabs a rock, rubs it at super speed to build up a positive charge of static electricity, and tosses it at the point where they're holding hands. This ends up transmitting the positive charge into both of them, which causes them to be repelled from each other in this kind of explosion that knocks them out. After managing to recover before the other two, Superman make or Superman takes them to separate prison cells in separate galaxies, ensuring that they never reunite again. And I really believe that they, this is the last time we see either of them. I could be wrong, but I'm, I, I didn't research that point, but I believe it's true. All right, looking at the cover once again. This is by Nick Carty, and it shows Superman being huge. I don't know if that's the word "being huge." Anyway, he's huge. And he's outside of the earth, and he's using his fist to basically punch both sides of the earth, or two sides of the earth. Can you really have sides on a globe? Anyway, uh, he's hitting the earth from, you know, two different directions and causing it to to explode. I think this would have caught my attention if I was looking on the newsstand in 1974. I mean, granted, it's only got like three quarters of the page because they have to have the huge Action Comics logo, so depending on how it's displayed, it might not, but I think it would have caught my attention. All right, moving into page two because page one is once again uh, the inside, basically the splash page. Page two, you gotta love how they colored comics back in the day. I mean, they have limited palettes, but whoever's the colorist on this issue manages to make this beautiful-looking sunrise. You've got the you've got the sun coming up, and it's kind of an orange color. You've got these lighter orange in the sky with some yellows and some purples and pinks, and even a little bit of a dark blue in the background and the, the ground is mostly green for some reason, but with some white and, and it all looks great. And then you see Superman with this shiny magenta tuning fork. Ugh. And And where did Superman find that much metal of that color? I thought the seventies were all about browns and oranges and yellows. And here he is with this bright pink, uh, Anyway, page 3 Superman's realizing that he What he's doing actually reminds me of an old Bugs Bunny cartoon, in fact Every time I read this page Even today, when I was doing The notes for this, I uh, Was reminded of Bugs Bunny going What am I doing? Page 6, Jimmy is the only member Of the supporting cast to appear in this issue The next page shows the news director Which I believe is named Josh But I don't know if he actually had a name yet I mean, it's a blonde guy, a blonde white guy, which is what Josh will be, but uh, I don't know if he has a name yet, or they really haven't focused too much on the 6 o'clock news in these couple of issues, so it's I don't remember. Again, I could have looked it up, and again, I failed to do that. Anyway, page 8, I like how Superman saves the day here. Presumably he's going too fast for the laws of physics to allow him to either stop or turn without hitting the ground anyway. So the only option he really has is to go faster and then move at super speed to catch the torpedoes before they hit the ground. So I thought that was pretty pretty smart on Kerry Bates's part. Uh, unfortunately, the colorist could not decide what color the these, uh, mis- these torpedoes are. On one page, they're orange. On this page, uh, when he catches the vest, they're red. And then as he's flying away with them, they're yellow. Now maybe this is a color thing, depending on, you know, it's almost time to hit the ground. So... You know, they're orange, and when he catches them, they're almost at the ground, and they're red, and I don't know how far up he, in the sky he is when they're yellow. So maybe it has something to do with that. That could be a no price. Not a no price, because that's Marvel. That could be my, well, they didn't do Baldies yet either, but this could be my Baldy uh, for explaining that. Anyway, uh, page nine. I know the story wouldn't work right without using the candy, but is there such a thing as Girl Scout candy? Now, this one, I looked it up. This one I actually bothered, and it turns out that while they're more popular for selling the cookies, uh, and you know selling them at the stores and everything, I I guess that's their main breadwinner. Girl Scouts do sell nuts and candies. Yeah. Now I haven't found any evidence that a girl would be standing out in front of a building selling the candy in this way, but uh, they do sell candy. Anyway, on page ten, you want an example of some super dickery. Why did Superman have to scare these two kids? I mean, he's planning to confront Zadu and Zeta. Shouldn't he have picked a less populated place? I mean, yes, it's only two kids, but that's still two more than that really needs to be. Why couldn't he have gone back up to Siberia where there was no one around? You know? Eh. Page 11. It's been, what, a few days since he went to the dentist? And this is the first time he noticed he has something on his tooth? I mean, even if he didn't eat anything, which he didn't have to because of his super metabolism, he didn't have to eat or drink or shower or anything like that. Uh but even if he didn't eat anything in those few days, I would presume that his tongue still works in some sort of fashion and therefore he would have, you know, felt it. If he can feel it while there's can- when he eats candy, I would imagine it it's be it's impeding his jaw from closing completely. I I don't know. Uh, this must be one of those suspension of disbeliefs you're not supposed to think about until 40 years later. Or 45 years later. Or almost 50 years later. Pages 12 through 13. You know what I like about this part? There is an actual sense of drama here. But despite this being the all-powerful, planet-juggling, time-traveling Superman, he comes very close to dying here. And in the process of saving himself, he ends up teaching kids that like charges repel. I mean, what a guy. Alright, so once again, this story, heavy on plot, light on anything else. Uh, although the drama at the end was kind of cool. Not that it's a bad thing, like I said, but especially since Bates only has 13 pages to work with again. I like the idea of Superman tricking them into saving the Earth with the uh, fake uh, astro germ. Even though technically there really wasn't a danger, but and I don't know if it was inten- like an intentional idea, but... I kind of like that idea. The art, once again, uh, has the same issues as last time. There's some spots where it looks great. Some spots where Coletta decides to ink the lines on Superman's forehead. So it kind of makes him look old. But yeah, otherwise it looks great. Uh, But um, tell me, what did you guys think? Have you read these issues? Did you like the story and or art? Did you hate the story and or art? Uh, Let me know and I'll read your responses on the air. Possibly next time. Uh, because I don't know when I'll be recording the next episode and who knows how long uh, you probably will have heard this by that point alright that's going to do it for this issue I'm going to play a promo real quick and when I come back we're going to look at feedback as we fade out we'll be listening to the number one song from the end of February 1974 The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand so enjoy and I'll see you on the other side
0: the corners of my mind misty water color
1: memories of the way we were
2: Charlie's Geek Cast will return after these promos. Coming soon from
1: the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian.
0: Every adventure.
1: (sighs) Okay, you guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... Justice League will take you down.
0: Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU JLU Cast.
1: Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you
0: don't love me. I'll never say that.
1: Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues.
0: Their strength in numbers.
2: What, like a bunch of super friends? More like
1: a Justice League. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is. And we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, you, you know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's, it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around and we're going to simply say that for the moment we're back and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. (laughs) The show can still be found at the Superman homepage as well as at the Fortress of bailey And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
2: We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, we have one bit of feedback from our la from, I say we, I have one bit of feedback from the last episode. Uh, written as a comment on the on the uh, charliesgeekcast.com website, on the show posting there, uh, written by Dave McIlvaney. And he writes, I love this episode of Justice League for many of the same things you do. The Flash getting that hard-to-find present for the kids while dealing with the ultra-humanite. By the way, besides an ultra-humanite, I wonder what an ordinary humanite would be. It's a good question. And Hawk Woman and Green Lantern playing in the snow and getting into a barroom brawl but I think I especially love the parts that you like less. You said that Superman slash Clark seemed immature back at the Kent farm. I see it as innocent myself. Don't we all as adults wish to see Christmas through the eyes of children? I think Superman has kept that boy alive in his heart and is absolutely comfortable showing that at home with Mom and Pa. I think part of what makes him the inspirational and aspirational hero he is is that he doesn't, or is that he hasn't suffered the same loss of innocence that others have. Think about it. During the Golden, Silver, and Bronze Ages, Superman has had adventures with the actual Santa Claus, so he knows, as many adults do not, how real Santa is. Of course, he thinks it was Santa who wrapped his presents in lead foil. He's met Santa. He's excited to have a sleepover with his friend, John Jean Jones, who, as a survivor of an alien race on Earth, is one of the few who might understand Superman's own situation. I think if you look at Superman as a good and mature boy, Rather than an immature man, you might view those scenes differently. Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, Dave. You bring up some good points, and I agree with them for the most part. In the comics, back in the Golden, Silver, and Bronze Age, yes, Superman did have adventures with Santa Claus. Post-crisis, he hasn't. This is a whole different version of Superman. So this version of Superman, up to this point, has had no adventures with a Santa Claus. Not in the animated comics. Not on the shows and as insinuated by the fact that the Kent said that they wrapped the presents in lead and lead foil and then he says you mean santa and they're like yes i'm taken to believe that this dc the dc animated universe doesn't have an actual santa unlike our world where santa exists so i'm thinking that he would know better the thing is with all the experiences he's has he isn't a boy anymore, unfortunately. He is a man. And, I mean, the last story in on the Superman animated series had him overcoming some terrible stuff that he did while under co- the control of Darkseid. He has grown up, so it just does not fit the character at all to me. But, you know, difference of opinion, that's fine. Everyone sees it differently, so you have your way of seeing it. I have mine. I'm not going to go out on the, you know... I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not going to say I'm right. But it's just the way I viewed it. That's all. But uh, that's it for the comments this time. So I want to thank you all for listening. If you'd like to be, you know, uh, like Dave, uh, you can send a comment on the show postings at charliesgeekcast.com or you can send an email to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, which I'll be reiterating in just a few minutes here at the end of the show on the canned outro. So I want to thank you all for listening, and I'm not sure when exactly I'll be back, but I will be back. I've got two different ideas that I'm currently working on, so whichever one is finished first will be the next episode. So until then, I hope you all take care of yourselves, and I will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Charlie's Geekcast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com. Or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charlie'sgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's Geekcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night.